This is part six of uh, the book by Rudolf Steiner, Anthroposophical Guidelines. I'm on page 34 of this ebook. It begins Michael's experiences during the fulfillment of his cosmic mission. One can follow the advance of humanity from the consciousness stage when man felt himself to be a member of the divine spiritual order up until the contemporary stage where he feels himself to be an individual detached from the divine spiritual and capable of his own thinking. This was elucidated in the last article. However, through supersensible vision one can also project a picture of how Michael and his associates experience this stream of evolution. That is, describe the same facts from Michael's point of view. We will try to do this now. At first, there is an oldest antiquity in which one can only speak of what happened among divine spiritual beings. It has to do with the deeds of gods alone. Gods accomplish what the impulses of their natures provide. They are correspondingly satisfied with this activity, and only what they experience is taken into consideration. Something like humanity is only noticeable in one area of this godly activity. It is an element of godly activity. The spiritual being who directed his attention to humanity from the beginning, however, is Michael. He arranges divine activity in such a way that humanity can exist in a cosmic corner, so to speak. And the manner in which he acts there is related to the activity that later is manifested in humanity as intellect, except that it is activated as a force which streams through the cosmos in an ordering of ideas, giving rise to reality. Michael works in this force. His office is to administer cosmic intellectuality. He wishes further advancement in this area. And this can only happen if what streams through the cosmos as intelligence is concentrated later in the human individuality. What occurs thereby is the following. A time comes in world evolution in which the cosmos no longer lives by its present intelligence, but by that of its past. And the intelligence of the present is amidst the stream of human evolution. Michael would like to ensure that what develops within humanity as intelligence continues to be connected to the divine spiritual beings. To this, however, there is resistance. 
what the gods accomplish as evolution from the separation of intellectuality from their own cosmic action up until integration in human nature is an open fact in the world. If beings exist who possess a capacity for perceiving these facts, they can make use of them, and such beings do exist. They are the Aramanic beings. They are very much disposed to soak up everything separated as intelligence from the gods. They are disposed to unite the sum of all intellectuality to their own being. Thereby they become the greatest, the most comprehensive and penetrating intelligences in the cosmos. Michael foresees how man, in that he uses his own intelligence evermore, must encounter the Aramanic beings and how he can thus succumb to them. Therefore, Michael places the Aramanic powers under his feet. He continuously forces them into a deeper region than the one in which man is evolving. Michael, the dragon under his feet, forcing him into the abyss. That is the mighty image of this supersensible fact that lives in human consciousness. Evolution advances. Intellectuality, which at first was completely in the divine spiritual domain, <clears throat> is so detached from it that it becomes the ensoulment of the cosmos. What previously radiated only from the gods now blazes forth from the stars as divine revelation. Previously, the world was guided through divine being itself. Now it is guided through objective divine revelation, behind which divine being continues on the path of its own evolution. Michael is again the administrator of cosmic intelligence, insofar as it streams through cosmic revelation in ideational form. The third phase of evolution is a further separation of cosmic intelligence from its origins. In the star worlds, the present complex of ideas no longer rules as divine revelation. The stars move and arrange themselves according to the arrangement implanted in them in the past. Michael sees how what he administered in the cosmos, cosmic intellectuality, increasingly continues along the path to earthly humanity. Michael also sees, however, that the danger of humanity succumbing to the Aramanic powers is ever greater. He knows he will always have Araman under his feet for himself, but what about man? <clears throat> 
Michael sees the greatest earthly event happening. From the domain which Michael himself served, the Christ being descends to the earthly sphere in order to be here when intelligence is completely present in the human individuality. This is when man will most strongly feel the pressure to become addicted to the power which has completely and absolutely become the bearer of intellectuality. But Christ will be there. Through his great sacrifice he will live in the same sphere in which Araman lives. Humanity will be able to choose between Christ and Araman. The world will be able to find the Christ path in human evolution. That is Michael's cosmic experience of what he has to administer in the cosmos. In order to stay with the object of his administration, he travels the path from the cosmos to humanity. He has been on this path since the 8th century, but has really but has only really taken over his earthly office into which his cosmic office has been transformed in the last third of the 19th century. <clears throat> Michael cannot force man to do anything. Force has ended due to the fact that intelligence has completely entered the domain of human individuality. But as a majestic exemplary deed in the supersensible world, initially at the frontier of the visible world, Michael can unfold what he wishes. With a light aura, with a spiritual gesture, Michael can show himself there, in whom all the brilliance and grandeur of the past divine intelligence is manifest. He can make visible how the effect of that past intelligence is truer, more beautiful and virtuous than the present intelligence, which streams in from Araman in deceptive, seductive brilliance. He can show that for him Araman will always be the inferior spirit under his feet. Those who view the supersensible world, which is at the frontier of the visible world, perceive, as here described, what Michael and his collaborators wish to do for humanity. Such people see how man is to be led in freedom through Michael's image in the Aramanic sphere from Araman to Christ. If, by means of their vision, such people are able to open other people's hearts and minds in order that a circle of people know that Michael now lives among men, then humanity will begin to celebrate Michael festivals with the right contents, during which Michael's force will revive in their souls. Michael will then work as a real power among men. Man will, however, be free, 
and will nevertheless follow his spiritual life path through the cosmos in inner community with Christ. Uh, that's from the Gertianum, October 19, 1924. <clears throat> Number 109. To become fully conscious of Michael's activities in his spiritual relationship to the world means to resolve the riddle of human freedom being severed from its cosmic connection, considering that the severance is necessary for earthly humanity. Number 110. Because the fact of, in quotes, freedom is directly given to every person who understands himself in the present stage of human evolution, no one may say, if he doesn't want to deny an obvious fact, that, quote, there is no freedom, close quote. But one can find a contradiction between what is factually given and cosmic processes. Considering Michael's mission in the cosmos, this contradiction disappears. Number 111. In my title, Philosophy of Freedom, one finds contemporary human freedom proven as a content of consciousness. In what is given here, one finds the development of this freedom cosmically substantiated. The Future of Humanity and Michael's Activity At this stage of his evolution, what is man's relation to Michael and his collaborators? Man stands within a world which was once totally of divine spiritual essence, to which he also belonged. At that time the world to which man belonged was divine spiritual being. During a following stage of evolution this was no longer the case. Then it was the cosmic revelation of the divine spiritual and its being hovered behind this revelation, but it was in motion and lived in that revelation. A star world already existed. The divine spiritual lived in its brilliance and motion as revelation. One can say, where a star stood or moved, the activity of the divine spiritual could be seen. In all this, how the divine spirit worked in the cosmos, how man's life was a result of a divine spiritual act in the cosmos, Michael was there, unopposed in his own element. He mediated the relationship of the divine to humanity. Other times came. The star world no longer directly contained divine spiritual activity. It lived and moved, persisting in the continuation of what it had previously contained. The divine spiritual no longer lived in the cosmos as revelation, 
but now only as the effectiveness of its acts. A clear differentiation appeared between the divine spiritual and what was cosmic. Michael, because of his own nature, remained with the divine spiritual. He tried to keep humanity as close as possible to this element. He has continued to do so. He wanted to protect humanity from living too intensely in a world which is only the effect of the divine spiritual, but not its being and not revelation. Michael finds it deeply satisfying that he has been able, through humanity, to keep the star world directly united with the divine spiritual in the following way. When a human being, once he has completed the life between death and rebirth, again treads the path toward a new earthly existence, he seeks to create a certain harmony between the star patterns and his earthly life as he descends to this existence. This harmony was self-evident, excuse me, this harmony was self-evidently present in older times because the divine spiritual was active in the stars in which human life also had its source. Today, though, when the movement of the stars merely continues the effects of divine spiritual activity, it will not be there if man does not seek it. Man brings the divine spiritual elements he has retained from older times into a relation with the stars, which themselves contain only the after-effects of the past. Thus a divine element enters into man's relation to the world, which corresponds to earlier times, yet emerges in later times. That this is so is Michael's deed. And this deed gives him such deep satisfaction that a part of his life element, his life energy, his living, sun-filled will, is contained in this satisfaction. But today, when he directs his spiritual eye, EYE, toward the earth, he sees a quite different situation. During his life in the physical realm between birth and death, man is immersed in a world which no longer shows the effects of the divine spiritual, but only what remains of these effects. One can say that what remains is only the divine spiritual's works. These works are completely divine spiritual in their forms. The divine shows itself to human vision in the form of natural phenomena, but it is no longer an enlivening element in these phenomena. Nature is a divine work and is everywhere a reflection of divine activity. Man, 
lives in this sun-filled divine, but not actively living divine world. However, as a result of Michael's effect on him, he has retained his connection with the essence of the divine spiritual. He lives as a being who is permeated by God in a world which is not permeated by God. To this God-vacated world man will bring what is in him, what his being has become in the present age. Humanity will continue to develop in the evolution of the world. The divine spiritual from which humanity originates can radiate through the cosmos, which only exists at present in the image of the divine spiritual as a cosmically proliferating humanity. The being which was once cosmos will no longer be the one which now radiates through humanity. In its progression through humanity, the divine spiritual will experience a being which it had not previously revealed. The Aramanic powers are opposed to this evolutionary progression. They do not want the original, divine spiritual powers to illumine the universe in its progression. They want the cosmic intellectuality, which they have absorbed, to radiate through the entire new cosmos and that humanity continue to live in this intellectualized, Aramonic cosmos. <clears throat> By living in this way, man would lose Christ, for he has entered the world with an intellectuality which once existed totally in the divine spiritual, when it was still, in its essence, shaping the cosmos. If we speak today in a way that makes our thoughts also those of Christ, we place something in opposition to the Aramonic powers that protects us from succumbing to them. To understand the sense of the Michael mission in the cosmos means to speak in this way. One must be able to speak today about nature as the consciousness soul evolutionary stage demands. One must absorb the purely natural scientific way of thinking. But one should also learn to speak about nature meaning to feel, in a way which is appropriate to Christ. We should not learn the Christ language merely about the redemption of nature, not merely about souls and divinity, but about the cosmos. We will be able to maintain our connection with the primordial divine spiritual and understand how to cultivate the Christ language about the cosmos if we completely, with all our hearts, adjust ourselves to the acts of Michael 
and his collaborators among us. For to understand Michael means to find the way to the Logos, the Christ, who lives on earth among men. Anthroposophy correctly values what the natural scientific way of thinking has learned about the world over the past four to five hundred years and speaks of it. But it also speaks about the nature of man, about the evolution of man and the cosmos. Anthroposophy wishes to speak the language of Christ Michael. Both languages will then be spoken and evolution will not be defeated and succumb to the Aramonic before finding the divine spiritual. To speak merely in the natural scientific way corresponds to the separation of intellectuality from the original divine spiritual. It can succumb to the Aramonic if Michael's mission is ignored. It will not succumb if the liberated intellect rediscovers itself through the force of Michael's example in the primordial cosmic intellectuality which lies at the source of humanity and has appeared within the human domain through Christ after it abandoned man in order that his freedom could be realized. From the Gertianum, October 25, 1924. Number 112. The divine spiritual takes effect in the cosmos in various ways in the following stages. Number 1. Through its own primordial essence. Number 2. Through the revelation of this essence. Number 3. Through its effects when the essence retreats from the revelation. Number four, through the work, when the divine is no longer in the visible universe, but only its forms. Number 113. In the contemporary view of nature, man has no relation to the divine, but only to its effects. Number 114. Michael constantly strives to embody human cosmic evolution by being a freely active example of the divine essence and the revelatory relation to the cosmos retained by humanity from ancient times in order that what the image, the form of what the divine says about nature, may flow into a higher spiritual consideration of nature. Although this will certainly be present in man, it will nevertheless be a reminiscence of the divine relation to the cosmos during the first two stages of cosmic evolution. In this way, anthroposophy affirms the view of nature corresponding to the consciousness soul age. It also completes it, however, with what the eye of the spirit reveals. 
This is the end of part 6 on page 40, and it ended with um, uh, the guideline number 114, and the next section will begin with the subsection which will be entitled Humanities, Michael Christ Experience, the end of section 6.